0: Hallelujah to the soul. The King of Love had given up His life The darkest day in history There on a cross they made for sinners For every curse His blood atoned One final breath and it was finished but not the end
1: Let's lift it up together.
2: Welcome to Freedom House and our Good Friday service. This is an opportunity to reflect on the cross and all that Jesus did for us 2,000 years ago.
3: The cross, in all of history, there's never been a symbol, never an emblem like it. It stands alone by itself. The cross was the center point for the greatest tragedy and the greatest victory in all of creation. See, it was through the death of Jesus on that cross that we had renewed access to the Father. The Father. Come on. Access to the Father. so good. See, we have an opportunity. Because of that access, we have an opportunity to spend eternity with the one that bankrupt heaven to save us.
2: Come on, so good. We are about to do a responsive reading and we're going to share some declarations and read those over you to remind us of the weight and the importance of the cross. And after we read each declaration, we want you to respond in unison by saying, amen. Let's begin.
3: Through his forgiveness, we make God our father. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And the church said, Amen. Amen.
2: Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. And the church said, Amen.
3: But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. And the church said,
2: Amen. May Jesus Christ, who for our sake became obedient unto death, even death on a cross, keep you and strengthen you. And the church said, Amen.
0: Salvation, the gift of God.
4: Praise! Come on! Come on, give God some praise. Come on, church. Let your voice do it. Come on, give God a big shout tonight. He's worthy. We love you, Lord. Hallelujah. We bless your name, the name above every name. Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess the name of Jesus. Father, we love you tonight. We're so grateful. We're so grateful that you said those three words it is finished and tonight we declare the completion in our own lives father we're not looking around to the left or to the right or whether somebody else is doing something father we we are focusing all of our attention on you because our hearts are open God speak to us tonight God we don't want just another religious weekend weekend Father, we want to have an encounter with you. We want to experience your presence. We need change in our lives. We need change in our city. We need change in our nation, God. And so, Father, we stand here tonight in declaration of all you want to accomplish through us. Thank you, Jesus. Just lift your hands up. Just bless him. We love you, Lord. We're so grateful for your presence. Just in your own words. Just take about 15 seconds and just just love God. Just, just talk to Him. Open your heart to Him. Just tell Him you're ready. I'm ready, God. I'm ready for you to do something in my life. I'm ready for you to change my family. I'm ready for you to... I'm ready for a heart transformation. Come on, 15 more seconds. Just just love on your father, love on your savior. Oh, we love you, we love you, we love you. We're so grateful, God. We're so tired of religion. Father, we thank you that you sent your son to die for us so that we could have a relationship. We declare freedom tonight. We declare freedom. We declare freedom. And all the church said, amen, amen, amen. Hey, before you sit down, just look at maybe five people. Just look at them in the eye and say, it's all done. It's all done. It's finished. It's all done. And then you may be seated. Wow, wow, wow. I'm going to get right into business tonight. Is that all right? I want you to think about this. We will never fully understand the glory of the resurrection until we fully understand the suffering of the cross. Let me say it another way. We will never fully understand the power of the resurrection until we fully understand the suffering of the cross. It's Good Friday because it leads us out of an old life into a new life. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 that... If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation, brand new. In Isaiah 9, one of the most talked about verses in a prophetic nature in regards to Jesus, it says this, it says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Everybody say light, light, light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. The light is Jesus, if you didn't figure it out already. Matter of fact, in Genesis chapter one, right at the beginning, in the first three verses, God said, let there be light. He wasn't talking about the moon. He wasn't talking about the sun. He wasn't talking about the stars. He was talking about Jesus. And really, he was talking about you and me because Jesus said in John eight, again, and I love John because John really focuses on Genesis. John eight, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. You know, light does a lot of different things, but one of the things that I love about light is it leads. It leads the way, it shows the way. Jesus said, I am the way. First thing he said, then he said truth and life, but the first thing he said is, I'm the way. See, on Good Friday on the cross, Jesus made seven very important statements. And the last of those statements was, we just sang about it, it is finished. In John 19, verse 30, it says, Jesus received the sour wine. He said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up the spirit. Now, here's the thing. Whenever, when I read the Bible, I'm, I'm kind of a questioner. I, I, I start to think about stuff. It's dangerous up in here, just being honest. <laughs> it gets scary in here. And one of the things that I thought about, and I just want you to think about it. Maybe you never thought about this. Jesus said, it is finished, but he wasn't done yet. You ever thought about that? I mean, think about it. He says it's finished, but he still had to do one more thing. I mean, I know he died on the cross. And I, look, I'm not trying to like mess up your theology and mess up the song. (laughs) Because I believe that it is finished, but I think we need to understand what was finished. That's the important thing. Because if we don't understand what was finished, it's really difficult to begin something new. See, the cross deals with our old life, and the resurrection deals with our new life. The cross is what God is bringing us out of, and the resurrection is what God is bringing us into. And honestly, many Christians never make it to Sunday. They spend their whole life on Friday, They just march around the cross for their entire lives because they never realized that we can, I want you to hear this because this is the whole message tonight, you can finish the race because Jesus finished it for you. You can finish this. And the cross really is, uh, it looked like defeat, but it was a finish line in the resurrection which we have eight services on Sunday, just as a shameless plug. This doesn't count for your Easter weekend. This is extra credit in heaven. You get a little star next to your name because you came to Good Friday. Just letting you know, when you get to heaven, you'll have, you know, maybe, some of you may have a lot of stars. Pastor Matt from South End just got one because he came tonight. So, <clears throat> See, the resurrection is the beginning of a whole new race. Another way to say it is the resurrection is the beginning of a whole new you a whole new person that God created you to do. So here's what I wanna do tonight. I wanna talk about how Jesus reversed some things for us. In other words, he, he did it so we can do it, so we can accomplish it. You know, there are over 600 references to Jesus in the Old Testament. And here's the thing that I'm learning. There is so much more to the life of Jesus than just his death. Now, now let, me, let me just make sure you understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that his death is purposeless. I'm not saying that at all. Matter of fact, everything that he did, did led to the point of his crucifixion. But we also have to understand that every conversation that Jesus had was important. Every miracle that he did was intentional. Not just in the life of the person that he was ministering to and in that moment, but what he was doing in order to reverse what the first Adam messed up. Because Jesus is called the last Adam. Follow me here for a second. The first Adam was the Adam of the garden. God put him in this beautiful place, this place called the garden. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. And really, from Genesis to the cross, we are his offspring, the first Adam's offspring. So we are in Adam until you are born again in Christ. Are you following me? And so what Jesus did, everything that he did, every, every conversation, you can find it, every conversation, every minute word, because he said, I don't do anything unless I first see the Father do it. And so when he did something, it was very important to reverse, repair the breach that the first Adam messed up in the garden. So everything that you and I go through, every problem we deal with, every temptation that we face, every sickness that we have to struggle through, it was all, it's all found in the garden. What Adam did, the first Adam. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, the first man, Adam, became a living being, but the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Okay, so, so I wanna talk about three things that Jesus reversed for you and me. And I want you to hear this. The first thing is that Jesus conquered the wilderness. Deuteronomy chapter one, you know the story. The Israelites were in bondage 400 years. I think they've been playing the movie, The Ten Commandments. I was talking to a friend of mine. He goes, man, you ever seen The Ten Commandments? I said, yeah. He goes, what do you think? (laughs) True story. I was just on the phone with him like Thursday night. He goes, man, is it real? This is a guy, this is one of my projects, one of the guys I'm working on, you know. He did that really happen? I said, yeah, man, it really happened. <laughs> it's a little more dramatized, very cool. We'll find out when we get to heaven, HDR in heaven. But the Israelites were in Egypt, and understand, I want you to catch this, because Egypt is your old life. Whenever the Bible talks about Egypt, it's talking about your old life. What you have supposedly come out of, the life that you have relinquished over, The death you died when you were born again. That old person that you were, that old self that you were, that old thinking that you had, all of that is described in Egypt. So whenever you read the Bible and you see the word Egypt, understand what God is talking about right in that moment is that something there needs to be left behind. Then the Israelites, where did they go next? The Bible says Moses took them out into the wilderness to worship God. Deuteronomy 1 verse 2 says, it is is 11 days journey from Horeb by the way, way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. Next verse. Now it came to pass in the 40th year. Time out. What the heck happened? Commercial break 40 years later. 11 day journey, commercial break 40 years later. See, the Israelites took an 11-day journey, and they turned it into a 40-year wandering. They were supposed to come out of Egypt. They, they came out of Egypt led by God to worship Him. This was the promise. They were supposed to enter into the promised land. So Egypt, old life, wilderness. By the way, the wilderness is required. Okay, it's like, it's like CE credits at your job. Required. It's a part of your every, it's part of a Christian's life. All of us have to go through the wilderness. It is a required. You can't skip the wilderness because the wilderness is extremely important. The wilderness is meant to get Egypt out of you before you go into the promised land. See, without a wilderness, you'll, and and by the way, God will not allow Egypt to go into promised land. So there has to be a wilderness. We, We have to get rid of it. So the wilderness is, is for us to walk through, not wander in. The wilderness is necessary, but it's not supposed to be eternal. The wilderness is meant to define you, but not meant to defeat you. The wilderness is part of your journey with God, it's part of our, every, all of our journey. Now, here's the thing about the wilderness we have different, some of us, we are living in the promised land of, our, of a part of our life, but some of us are still living in a wilderness in a part of our life. I don't know what that wilderness is for you. I know what it is for me. You have to figure that out. And the longer you spend in that wilderness is dependent not on God because he's already defined the promised land in his word for you. And the promised land is not heaven, by the way. If, if the promised land were heaven, then you know we'd all have shotguns at church, get saved, and bam, just take them out. Let's go to heaven. It'd be the easy way out. It just got weird. It did get a little weird right there. Let's stay focused here. The wilderness, (laughs) the wilderness exists between what we were and what we are to become. The wilderness allows us to get rid of our Egypt because we can't take it to the promised land. Let me say it another way. The wilderness is a test. It's a test. But Jesus conquered the wilderness. Let me prove it to you. Jesus is born. He's 12 years old. We get a peek of him. I, I gotta do my father's business. He's 30 years old. He gets baptized by John, John chapter three, John the Baptist. John chapter four, interesting verse. Verse one, then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So if Jesus went through a wilderness, we gotta go through one too. And Jesus was led in the wilderness, but he was reversing the loss of a whole generation to begin a brand new generation. So the 40 years that the Israelites spent, Jesus conquered in 40 days. What was his test? The word test. And this is the test of the wilderness that Jesus passed. Because when the devil came to Jesus in the wilderness, he said, turn this into bread. What was Jesus' response? It is written. Another temptation, what is his response? It is written. See, you can overcome your wilderness and make it to your promised land. I want you to catch that because Jesus did it before you. Everybody say, it is finished. It is, finished. It is it, God, if God said it, you can build your life on it. That's the first thing. Jesus conquered our wilderness. Second thing, Jesus reversed the curse. Not in the way you're thinking. I, I wanna take you to another example that's very important for us to understand. Okay, so Jesus conquered the wilderness. And, and by the way, I could do this all night long. Okay, they only gave me two hours to preach, but I could do this all night long. <laughs> Genesis 1, creation. Genesis 2, the creation of man. Genesis 3, the fall of man. Genesis 4, we see a lineage of Adam. And we are introduced in Genesis 4 to this God named Lamech. Lamech. He is the seventh son from Adam in the lineage of Cain. Now remember, what, what did Cain do? Cain got jealous of his brother Abel. And what did he do to him? He killed him. Okay, I want you to keep that in mind. So Lamech was in the lineage of Cain. Genesis 4, verse 23, Jesus reversed the curse. Then Lamech said to, the, to his wives, by the way, he was the first one to have, have multiple wives. Not, not a good idea. Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. Wives Of Lamech, listen to my speech. For I have killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. Verse 24. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. Or another way to say it is seventy times seven. Lamech said that if you hurt me, if you wound me, I, I have vengeance on you. I'm gonna retaliate against you, 70 times seven. You hurt Lamech, I don't know why he talked about himself in the third person, but he did. You hurt Lamech, 70 times seven curse on your life. You say, wow, that's that's just harsh. Guess what, we do the same thing. Somebody does something to us, God get them. Right? Right? They say something mean to us. Aren't you thankful that God doesn't answer all your prayers? Come on, let me tell you right now, as your pastor, if I can be honest, if God answered all my prayers, some of you wouldn't be here right now. Just saying. I'm being honest up in church on Good Friday. I'm just looking around right now, yep. Gone, 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 gone. Love you, babe, love you. Lord, forgive me. <laughs> but Jesus reversed the curse. Jesus reversed the curse. Matthew chapter 18, Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples. He takes them through this story about how if somebody sins against you, if somebody sins against you, then what you have to do is you have to take, it, first of all, you go to them, this is, the, we call it the Matthew 18 model. You go to them and, and you try to, reconcile the situation, they did something bad to you, they said something bad about you, they abused you in some way, they tried to manipulate you in some way, they cursed you in some way, they put a a bad thing on on Instagram about you in some way. The response is, what are you gonna do? How are you gonna respond? You go to them and you have a conversation with them. That's the way to do it. You don't tell all your friends about it first. You talk to them face to face. You have a conversation, have a conversation, a real conversation. Not a text conversation, but a real conversation. You dial on the phone, and they pick up the phone, and you go, hi, this is Troy, who is this? Wow, your voice sounds different than your text. Your tone sounds way different. You have a conversation with them. If they don't listen to you, you know what you do? You get somebody that's not really involved in the situation, then you go with them, and you have a conversation with three together. Now, then it goes on to say if, if it doesn't work that way, you take them to the church, you take them to the leaders of the church, and if it still doesn't work, then the Bible says they're like a sinner to you. In other words, you, you are released from it, which means you don't need to trust them anymore. And then Peter, in verse 21, came to Jesus and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him, up to seven times? Peter thought he knocked it out of the park. He's like, Seven times, Jesus. I'm gonna do it seven times. Seven times. Jesus' response I do not say up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Interesting. Isn't it interesting. See, Jesus understood that this law of Lamech, this curse of Lamech, can easily infiltrate our life. And so he speaks it into existence. How often do we forgive him? 70 times seven. See, you can forgive because you are forgiven. Any moment in your life, let me, just, let me just give you a little hint on Good Friday. Any moment in your life where you feel like you can't forgive somebody, just think about what you did to God. It makes it real simple. If I start to think, well, this person did this, God, and you know, they need this, and get them, God, and lightning, and fire, and car wrecks, all that stuff, God reminds me, yeah, but I forgave you. How many times did God forgive me? Way more than 70 <laughs> times seven. Are you following me? How often do you let people off the hook? 70 times seven. How often do you let people say they are sorry? 70 times seven. How about if they crucify you? Luke 23, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. See, you can forgive because you are forgiven. Jesus reversed the curse. Jesus conquered the wilderness. Gonna give you one more? Jesus opened up the garden. He opened up the garden. Everything we face as human beings is found in the garden. Everything. All of which is rooted in sin, the fall of man. There are so many parallels between Adam and Jesus. So many parallels. Because Jesus was the last Adam, Adam was the first Adam. He was the last Adam, first Adam. So many parallels. For example, let me give you one. I might give you two. I'll give you one right now. When Adam realized he was alone, remember that? He named all the animals. None of them matched. And so God says, you need a helpmate. You need a a bride. So what did he do to Adam? Put him to sleep. By the way, men, this is why we can't understand women, because we were asleep when they were made. Biblical. <laughs> it's the truth, I'm telling you right there. It's, amen. It's revelation. Some of y'all, this is the best message you ever heard right there. It's the best Friday I ever had in Easter weekend. I don't understand. I was asleep. That's your excuse now. I don't get it. I don't understand. I was asleep. Don't blame it on me, blame it on the Bible. So, so, So here's what happens. God puts Adam asleep, you remember? What did he do? He reached into his side, he reached into his side, he pulled a rib out, and he created woman. His bride. Jesus is on the cross. He dies. In other words, he falls asleep. A Roman soldier takes a rod and sticks it in his side, blood and water come out, and God creates his bride, the church. You see the connection? See the connection? Let me give you one more. Adam and Eve are tempted by going to a tree to eat. You can have everything you want. God makes this perfect place, this amazing place. Everything you want is here. It's perfect in every way. You can enjoy everything, have fun, but please, just just this one thing I want you to not do. I want you to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The very thing that they went to to disobey God on, in, Jesus obeyed God and hung on. There's connections all through this. Adam's decision to disobey God separated us from the Father. Romans chapter five, verse 12, I'm almost done. When Adam sinned, the entire world was affected. Sin entered human experience and death was the result and so death followed this sin, casting its shadow over all of humanity because all have sinned. Adam and Eve failed in the garden. Every circumstance was perfect for them because of their choice. And everybody has a choice. You have a choice. We have a default towards sin because of Adam. So let's fast forward to Jesus. Because whenever you read in the Bible, the garden, the garden is a place of intimacy. Because the whole purpose that that God created the garden for Adam and Eve was to have communion with him. It says in the cool of the day, he would come and he'd have a conversation with man. He, He wanted this fellowship. He wanted to hang out, this community. He wanted to be friends. He wanted to talk about, you know, the universe and how he did this and how he did that and teach Adam and walk together and talk together and spend time together. And Adam, because of his disobedience, broke that bond. And as a result, God had to remove Adam from this place. But Jesus, just a few hours before he goes to the cross, check this out, just a few hours He takes Peter, James, and John, and he goes to a garden. Interesting. It says, when they came to a place which was named Gethsemane, he went a little further and fell to the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And then in verse 36, it says, he cried out. He said, Abba, Father, Father, Father. Of fathers, my father, father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not not what I will, but what you will. In other words, Jesus had an opportunity to disobey God and not fulfill his purpose. Three times, Jesus went back not my will, but your will. Not my will, But your will. Not my will, but your will. See, sin is defeated because Jesus opened the garden back up for us. For what? So we could have intimacy with God again. So we could have communion with our Father. You can be close to the Father. Intimacy is available because it is finished. finished I want you to stand with me and I want you to think about this just close your eyes for a minute if you can I just want you to think about this because I want you to think about these three things that Jesus did for you because today's the day for some of you where this race ends so you can begin a new life Begin, a power-filled life. So let me just ask you three questions. Number one, who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to let go? Who do you need to release? Who, who do you need to say, "Man, I, I'm 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 forgiving you"? And listen, maybe somebody that's not even here anymore. They may be dead and gone, but you've held on to them for so long, and you need to let them go. I forgive, and you fill in the blank. Who is it? A family member, a friend, an ex wife, an ex husband, somebody in your life. You need to just let go. Maybe you've been wandering in your own wilderness. Maybe it's been longer than 40 years. You're ready to come out and enter in your promised land. What about you? do you need to let go of? What about you, do you need to finally go, I'm done? I'm finished. What addiction do you need to leave here tonight? What struggle do you need to let go of? And then the final question I wanna ask you is some of you need to take a step into the garden again because your closeness with God has been replaced with busyness in the world, and God wants to spend time with you because the garden is open again. If you know you need to forgive somebody, just just lift a hand to heaven. Come on, right now, just lift a hand. I need to forgive some. Just be honest. If I if you keep that hand up, if you're here today, and you know you need to leave a part of yourself here in this building tonight, just raise your hand. Say I need to, I, I need to stop wandering in the wilderness. Put your hand up if you say that's me. Keep that hand up. And then last, I just want to pray for you. I just want to pray for you. You say, say, I, I know that I have replaced busyness with intimacy. And I need to change that because I know the garden is open again. You say, that's me. Just raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Now, if you raised one hand, I want you to lift that other hand just in a form of surrender. And we're going to pray and ask God. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, he who believes in me. So, Father, I pray for every person right now, God, that you would release them from a spirit of unforgiveness, that you would reverse that curse over their life, Lord. And they would walk out of this place completely free from the prison of unforgiveness. Be free in Jesus' name. Just release them right now. I forgive you. I release you. You don't owe me anything. I release you. Father, I pray for those that have been wandering in their own personal wilderness. And Father, I thank you that you're going you're to, they're going to drop off that old part of themselves so they can enter into the promises that you have for them in the name of Jesus. Be free tonight. Be free on Good Friday. Let it be the best Friday you've ever had in your entire life because you're going to start feeling and sensing and receiving all the promises of God. And then, Father, I thank you for just an increase. Why don't we all do this? Just lift our hands to heaven. Father, we thank you that now we have access to you. The veil has been torn. It's been lifted. And, Father, we come into closeness with you We desire more of you. We love you, God. Thank you, Jesus, that you finished everything for us. And all the church said, amen. Amen.
5: Mark 14, verse 12. On the first day of the festival of the unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples telling them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left. They went into the city They found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. You see, as they were celebrating the Passover when God saved the Israelites from death, Jesus said to them, I am the Passover lamb and I will save you too from death. You know, we want to take a moment to celebrate and honor the great sacrifice that Jesus made for each one of us, and we're going to do so by taking communion. We want to extend an invitation to those of you who call Jesus Lord and Savior of your life. There are silver containers on the left hand side of every aisle. If you'll pick that up, grab a communion element and pass that down. We'd like to take communion together.
1: As we gather tonight, I want to remind us the reason that we take communion, to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made. You know, and later in Mark 14, Jesus gathered the disciples and for the Passover meal and we know it today is the last supper. It was the night before he was going to be crucified. And he takes a moment during this meal to prepare the disciples, to prepare us today to remember his sacrifice that only he knew about. And he took the bread and he said, this is my body that will be broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup and he said, this cup, this wine represents my blood that will be poured out for you, bringing you into a new covenant with God, a a right relationship with God do this in remembrance of me. So tonight, we remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. The the sacrifice that he made for me, that he made for you. Say it is for me. me. Say it again, say "It it is for me. So tonight we take this moment to remember what Jesus did for us. Can you peel back that first layer? And I want us to take the wafer and hold it. And we're gonna pray, can you just close your eyes and for a moment we're just gonna think about Jesus's body. And Lord, we just right now we just thank you for your body. I can see it, Lord. I can picture it in my head. I can picture you being beaten. I can picture you being spit on. I can picture the, the crown of thorns that they put on your head. I can see the weakness in your flesh as you fall down carrying the cross. And I can see it on the I can see it being hung as they raised that cross, Father. And I thank you for that sacrifice. I thank you that you followed through with the Father's will and not your own, Lord. We do this today in remembrance of you, in Jesus' name, amen. You can take and eat.
5: You can peel back that second layer. And this juice represents Jesus' blood the blood that he shed and poured out so that we could have a new covenant with God, direct access. I don't know about you, but I am so thankful to have direct access to the Father because what Jesus did for us. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your ultimate sacrifice, for the blood that you shed so that we could access the Father, the intimacy of the Father that Pastor Troy was talking about. Thank you that we have right standing because of what you did. We honor you, we remember you, and we thank you in your precious name, amen. You can drink. Thank you, church. What a sweet moment. What a precious moment to join together and just honor what Jesus did for us. If you'll look to the left-hand side, there's a second silver container that you can grab and pass down to dispose of your elements. Thank you for taking a moment to honor Jesus.
4: his cross went out to a place called the place of a skull which is called in Hebrew Golgotha where they crucified him and two others with him one on either side and Jesus in the center
0: Word
3: things were now accomplished, that scripture might be fulfilled. He said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there and they soaked a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit.
1: After this, Joseph
4: of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for the fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave who at first came to Jesus by night. Also came bringing
1: a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with the spices, as the custom of the Jews is to bury.
4: Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So there
1: they laid Jesus.